This is the Constructionist Podcast, where we take ancient stories, the person of Jesus, current events and topics, and help you construct a new Christian worldview that's relevant and loving to those around you. I'm your host, Kevin Bates. I'm a semiotician and community builder, looking at the signs of the times to build a better future together. You are tuned in to the Constructionist Podcast, and tonight we're continuing with the topic of our basic existence, where we are discussing our worldview. We desire to for you to be able to navigate your life with the framework of a worldview that's relevant and loving to people around you. So we are diving deep into developing what we'll just coin as an honest, loving worldview. If you remember from previous podcasts, we are using the outline of worldview development from the Belgium atheist philosopher, Leo Apostle. Leo Apostle developed a six-point framework that we are using in this series to develop worldview concepts. So we talked about the explanation of the world. We talked about where we're heading, like our future, futureology, like heaven and hell. And then we spent two weeks on values and ethics. So if you wanted to get caught up on some of those, we encourage you to do so. Look back on our Facebook feed or our YouTube channel, and you can find those previous podcasts, broadcasts that you can get caught up on the subject. We find this really important because the worldviews that we have seen around, like our world, uh, definitely are not necessarily compassionate, loving, and definitely are dishonest. We don't want to be dishonest in our Christian faith. We want to be as honest as possible of the truth that we know. And so we desire to build a new framework. We're not necessarily giving you a worldview. We're giving you a framework to build your own worldview. Everyone's from different positions in life and different contexts, and you're going to use different language than we do. Our language is contextual. In our mystiology, we're here on this ground. We are here together the three of us on this ground here in the greater Northwest, and we speak a certain language here. You might live in different places or have different ideas that you can add to yours. And we desire this to be a thinking space, not just something that we're going to cram down your throat. So a worldview is a fundamental cognitive orientation. It's using our brains of an individual or society, basically encompassing the whole of the individual society's knowledge and point of view. So some of it requires some expression of normative truth. Normative truth is where we collectively agree on what is true and not. And then we have other truths like objective and subjective truths and complex truths that we can subscribe to, and they all relate to one another. Truth is coming next week. So we're going to take a break from the building blocks of our worldview foundation, and we're going to actually take a pause and we're going to build a word worldview and then send it through a test, um, the theory of action test that we're going to send it through. So you're going to find out more about that here in a little bit. So tonight we're talking about we're talking about praxis or praxeology. It's called the study of the doing, the action. 
where we can say all that we want and theorize and philosophize and come up with beautiful statements and ideas about who we are and what we want to be and how we're supposed to act. But if we don't act and do something with that, it just becomes dead words. It's not good news. It's actually a tragedy at that point when we don't do something with our philosophy, theology, and ideas. So how are we going to attain the goals that are set out in front of us with our worldview? Then we're going to talk next week about truth. And that's where the theory of knowledge comes into play. We have tacit knowledge. We have truth, like I said, normative, objective, subjective, complex truths that we're going to talk through next week. All of that is the basis of our knowledge. What we do with that, how we think about that, how we shove that onto people or we love that onto people um, really does make a difference. And then we're going to construct more. We're going to talk about the history, building blocks, and where we are headed. That's going to be our concluding broadcast. So this six-point framework is something that we're going to use and we're using. It's evolving with us. Uh, we're going to just use it to explain the world. So in previous podcasts, we've discussed deconstruction and the deconstruction of old ideas. And sometimes we deconstruct without construct. And that's why we're called the constructionists, because we desire to construct something where we deconstruct something. And if we don't construct it, we're going to end up like we have always been because we gravitate to what we know. We gravitate to our historical ideas, what we were taught when we were younger. We gravitate towards those things. Why? Because it's like home. It's like that it's like that warm blanket in front of the fireplace. Oh, I remember those words, those ideas. Oh, I remember those adages that I used to say and believe and my parents used to say and believe and my grandparents and such. So we need to construct something new. So we have a different trajectory that we're moving towards. As we deconstruct, we construct so that we don't end up exactly the same as we were before. So this comes with moving to new ideas. We have to move towards new ideas. When our, our framework is disrupted, uh, we need to construct something forward. So that's why we call this our thinking space, where we can think about these ideas, but you're in the acting space. You're on the stage out there in the world, where we're all on that stage out there in the world, but you're in the acting space in your world. And this is our thinking thinking space where we present ideas, we present thoughts, some things we totally subscribe to, other things we're just noodling around. We might, you know, next week go, you know, that wasn't very smart. That wasn't a good idea. So let's chuck that. So, you know, take what we say with not a grain, but take it with, um, I guess, the noodling idea. We're musing around some of these things. And so tonight we're making our best attempt to answer the question, how should we attain this goal that is presented with our new holistic, honest, loving, compassionate worldview? I can say that I want to be loving, compassionate, and, and honest, but yet if I don't put boots on the ground and my hands and feet don't work towards that, then it really is is nothing. So a couple of words on support. You can support us financially in several different ways. You can uh, write a check and send it in the mail. You can give to us that way. You can follow the link on our website, resonatelife.org. We are a part of a faith community here. 
in uh, Oregon, in Sherwood, Oregon, just south of Portland. And so if you want to financially support us, you can in in that way by following the link on our give site and give to us in that in that way. Uh, but the most important way that you can support us is listen to us and interact with us. We desire to interact with you. We desire to uh, better ourselves, learn together, answer questions, grow together. Uh, and just by being together and having these discussions has actually been very fruitful for my life. And I've really enjoyed uh, doing this and, and being here. So I'm really thankful for uh, what these have produced in my life and the times um, that we've shared together has definitely encouraged me and grown me beyond even my own understanding. So tonight we're talking about the theory of action. How are we going to take what we've talked about in the clouds, bring it down to the ground and put it into action? There are questions that our spiritual worldview definitely answers. There's a series of questions that they answer. And these are really universal questions. Uh, you can impose these questions on any worldview or develop a worldview out of these questions. But yet, depending on how you answer these questions really determines if you have a compassionate expression, a loving expression out of self. So you can say, Again, I'm compassionate and loving, yet, or your worldview doesn't speak compassionate and loving. It's definitely going to be expressed in how you articulate your worldview. I heard somebody say um, here recently that a biblical worldview is the most important thing that we can have. That is actually not true. I don't believe that the a biblical worldview is the most important philosophy or theory that we can hold on to in our life. I believe that number one, as we talk about these subjects, number one, Jesus is the most important thing, person, idea, story, gospel, and savior that you can hold on to in your life. And that's what we want to encourage you towards is to know Jesus more and to be more like Jesus. So in developing a worldview, my hope is that your relationship with Christ would be expressed in your worldview and how you react and act in the world. So here's the questions that you can answer to develop any kind of spiritual, humanist, industrial, business worldview that you could possibly come up with. And here's the first question. Where did I come from? Where did I come from? Number two question is my destiny. Where am I going? Where did I come from and where am I going? And then our purpose. Why am I here? Rick Warren did a great job in the Purpose Driven Life and discussing our purpose. So why am I here? And then our values. How should I live? What are my ethics? What is my my values that I hold on to in life? And then what is the truth? So where did I come from? My origin, my destiny, my purpose, my values, and the truths that I hold on to and what I actually believe about truth. And that's going to be next week. So our tradition shapes a tremendous amount. 
And if you have a traditional biblical worldview, believe me, if you just get online and what is Google, what is a traditional biblical worldview, you will find about six or seven points that you are required to adhere to, to have a traditional biblical worldview. And that worldview has gotten us into the trouble and the situation as the church we are in today. And so if you want a traditional biblical worldview, this is not the thinking space for you. There are many other thinking spaces that you can go to. This is not the thinking space for you. I'm just going to gently just tell you all that. I probably wouldn't say there were thinking spaces, though. <laughs> What'd you say? I probably wouldn't say those are thinking spaces, though. Well, the, yeah, that's true. That's true. So it is time as the church or as Christians, as followers of Jesus, to be honest with our beliefs and the consequences of what we've promoted in our beliefs. There's been a lot of collateral damage out there that I can see that I've been a part of that I've experienced myself. And so I want to encourage you to just take an honest look at these questions. Where did I come from? Where am I going? Why am I here? How should I live? And what is the truth? So honesty shapes the answers to these questions as well. And so if you can take an honest look at these, I think that it's important. So when we answer these questions, the question still remains, how do I implement these in my life? How do I take these and actually express them in relationships, in my home, at my workplace? How do we actually express ourselves? Because otherwise it's just empty theology garbage that it's just like a mental exercise that doesn't produce anything. So the church is notorious. The church is notorious for answering questions the world is not asking. That is true. We have been in so many baptism, communion, chair, song, music fights, and the world just does not care about our, our questions that we're trying to answer. But the world is also frustrated at us for doing nothing in action to answer their questions, the world dilemmas. Now, no, I don't believe that we as Christians are supposed to fix the world because the world is the world and it will always be the world. God is going to fix everything. And if you believe in end times and the final judgment and such, you know, in those end times and final judgment, we will see a correcting and a recreation of all things. And that's great. And I think that's awesome. While we're here, though, in the meantime, between now and a millennia from now, however long, you know, millennia that's going to be, is how are we to act now? How are we to express ourselves in love? They will know that we are Christians by our love, compassion, and basically our action. So our action is, is necessary. I think that James had it right when James said faith without some kind of deed, holy deed, work, expression, faith without that is pretty much, is pretty much uh, dead. So the church is notorious for answering questions the world's not asking, but we're also notorious of not putting our faith in action, that we're not answering the world's questions and giving them solutions and ends 
and giving them just a, a third place or a third way to live. So a theory of action. We're coming up with the theory of action tonight, and I believe that that's necessary as we move through these questions, the answers to those questions. So I'm going to answer these questions myself. I'm, I'm not immune to answering these questions. I spent some time uh, walking through these questions and say, well, what do I believe about where I came from and my origin? So I'm going to be really honest with you tonight. This is on a recording, so it's, you know forever. And so if I, you know, die tomorrow, then it's forever recorded on Facebook and YouTube and such things. So I will be all, I will be forever known to answer what I'm about ready to answer. Go ahead, Sharia. Well, I was just thinking about your comment that this is forever and provided you don't die tomorrow. Um, <laughs> it's also totally acceptable to change your answers. Oh, thank you. And I you. just want to remind both you and, and whoever is listening that it's okay to change your mm. answers. Like, even if you go through this exercise for now, it, it doesn't mean that it's forever. Oh, it's, it feels like forever. <laughs> but you're right. We can evolve, change, and I hope, I hope that we do. And I am going to try tonight in answering these questions to put fresh language around the answers. I don't want to just answer them the way that I've always answered them or my evangelical friends have always answered them. I think that doesn't make sense. Did you lose him too, Sharia? Yeah. Don bomb left corner, Kevin. Um, see what it's pulling from on your audio. <laughs> Kevin left. Well, I mean, we have the outline, but it does feel a little disingenuous to just read Kevin's answers for him. Yeah, probably should, probably should wait for him to read his own answers. But um, obviously, we're on a different platform tonight and having some hardware issues. So we're, we're figuring it out as we go. Um, but yeah. Are you logging back in, Kevin? Is the mic muted? I do it at work all the time. No, it's not muted. I think it it switched on his MIDI to a different source. But I can't tell unless he logs back in. Paisley had a question earlier. Yep. She's raising her paw. I think the question is how many tummy rubs is enough tummy rubs? Um, why don't you tell a joke, Shrey? I'll be right back. Oh, boy. <laughs> okay, this one's my favorite. 
How many elephants can you fit in a Volkswagen? Four. How can you tell if there's an elephant in your fridge? There's one set of footprints in the butter. How can you tell if there are two elephants in your fridge? There's two sets of footprints in the butter. How can you tell if there are four elephants in your fridge? Because the Volkswagen's parked outside. Hey. Now can you hear me? Yes. Excellent. Okay. So I am back. Technology. Gotta love it. So I can hear and I can speak. I think. And Jake's going to help me here really quick. Yep. I am good to go. All right. Thank you. All right. So I'm going to answer these questions. So we're answering questions that the world is asking. Um, we're going to answer these questions very carefully. I'm going to answer these questions for myself. So this is a best attempt at my biblical, honest, relevant, compassionate worldview. So my origin, where did I come from? As I answer this question, I really had to think long and hard about what I was going to say, because I do believe I was created by God, and I'm created in God's beauty and image. How that creation came about, this is what I have to say about it. I'm created in God's beauty and image. Human beings were created over a long period of time through a natural process of evolution. The creation narrative that's listed in Genesis 1 through 3 is a Hebrew poem in its original form, and it's repeated in a recreation myth to show us that God is present and continual from beginning to end. Okay? So okay. that's oh. my origin. You guys can jump in at any time. Just heresy. Just jump in and just, you know, uh, can I ask it. a question? Sure. Um, something I was thinking about when I was looking at your response. Um, do you think this question includes room to acknowledge or honor um, like our families or our culture or our traditions? Like explain more. Um, I guess like recognizing how maybe the family we grew up in or the traditions that we grew up with or the culture we grew up in has an effect on us and where we come because that's part of where we come from. Right. Okay. So acknowledging not just not my origin, but actually my, Yo, my origin. Origin. Well, <laughs> yeah. like you're on person. I think Kevin was going for a more of universal origin instead of a individual a person. Okay, that makes sense. Yeah. Well, but 
I think that I think that acknowledging that is important mm -hmm. because honestly, I come from a perspective. I come from a um, a privileged perspective that lends itself to me not acknowledging my can I say my human origin mm. or my cultural origin uh, because yeah. I, I don't have, because of my privileged life, I quote, don't have to acknowledge it or I don't have to wrestle with it or I don't have to um, deal with it. Yeah. Um, That's a good insight. Yeah. Perhaps we could like look at this through, you have three, origin stories you have your family of origin mm -hmm. which your these first two i think i'm i'm, I'm kind of just coming up the top of my head right now the the family of origin is your familial structure that you come out of your cultural origin and i think that's what you were ascribing to Sharia, those those two things, like how do those mm -hmm. come together? And can I think you have more of the of the myth of origin? But I'm using myth in more of the academic sense, and not right. in just a fake story sense. But a myth is a it's a story. Um, it's a grounding story, basically. Are you um, using it in the literature form? Yeah. yeah, yeah, in literature right. form, that's not just a fake story, but it's a it's a story where you know basically God intervenes with humankind, and so if we think of origin through those three lenses of family, culture, and myth, um, that could be really helpful with determining origin. That's good insight. I think that uh, a lot of times we. Well, we go right to the biblical understanding of creation yeah. and we try to an answer that yet yeah. there's a lot more to self than just some ancient story. So that's mm -hmm. very good insight. Thank you. I have that written down and so by next week or by the following week, the building blocks <laughs> will be, yeah. will be put on this. I think okay. if I could add one more thing. Yeah. The creation narrative of Genesis 1 through 3 mm -hmm. is a collection of Hebrew poems. Yeah. It's not a it's not a, it's not one poem, one but continual actually, poem. Mm. But it's three it's poems. True. There's three different there's three different um, traditions that's speaking through those three chapters. That's why the, the creation account repeats itself Twice, in three yeah. different ways. Yeah. Right. <laughs> okay. Well, I answered the second one in the same way. So I think that there could be some sprinkling of some other things um, mm. in there uh, with this destiny. Where am I going? Uh, this is my belief in heaven and hell um, or my belief that I'm going to heaven, whatever that eternal destiny looks like. We're not sure, but I am not going anywhere. God is coming here. And I thought that was interesting to think about a little bit because we have in our culture, 
especially our Euro Christianity culture that we just kind of blow off into the clouds. And we discussed that in our heaven and hell series uh, broadcast. And honestly, God comes here. God came here and created uh, humankind. God came here in the form of Jesus and God is coming back here. So, so when I think about God coming here, it's pretty congruent with all of scripture. So God is coming here. And in the end, heaven comes to earth and the recreation narrative that we learned in all through Exodus is brought to full expression. So a new heaven and a new earth is built preserving my current recreative actions. So I believe that what I do here on earth, the works, the holy deed is not in vain. It just doesn't burn up with everything. And it also demands my current preservation of the ecology around me. So not only do I, my holy deeds are preserved, I'm doing the work of preservation as well. But then there's the in the meantime, because a lot of people believe that when I die, sometimes some people believe, you know, you go to sleep for a period of time until Jesus returns, or that's called soul sleep, or you blow off into the heavens and you become, you know, an angel up there or, a, or some spirit being with God. There's a lot of allusion to that, especially in paintings and writings and such in the arts. But there is a period of time between my death and this box in Revelation that Jesus comes down, the new Jerusalem comes down to earth. So what happens between the time that I die and that box comes crashing down into earth? And I think I just have to live in a mystery. I don't need to worry about that necessarily because that's theology for lamos, I'll call that where we have this in between all premillennialist theology, all rapture theology, all end times theology. I will just say it very clear is a, I would say is a bunch of crap. And if you are just so sunk into that, I, I need you to put on a new pair of shoes and get out of that muck um, because it really does just capture uh, we're fantasized with that kind of stuff. And so we need to come out of that. We just need to live in the mystery that when we're absent from the body, we're at home with the Lord. And so that's what Paul says that there, but that has to do with our faith anyway, that he's saying our faith, um, he's alluding to some things about faith. So at some point I'm with the Lord uh, for eternity. So a new heaven and new earth is built, preserving my current recreative actions and demanding my current preservation of the ecology around me. In the meantime, after death and waiting for the final judgment, I'll embrace the mystery of Paul's words. When I'm absent from the body, I'm at home with the Lord. If anyone has any thoughts, um, I am watching uh, Facebook. We are in a different platform tonight. We can't just shoot them up on the screen. So I am watching Facebook, though, if anyone wants to include any thoughts in this as well. But go ahead, Shreya, you're up on this one. Um, I was thinking about, like, I, I definitely like what you said about um, recreation. Um, I was thinking about the word preserving, preserving the ecology, um, which I think is really important. Um, I think also 
if our work is recreation, maybe we're not just preserving. Um, Replanting. Yeah, like the the phrase that I'm thinking about because I like to garden is regenerative agriculture. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So what am I doing to build soil health and not just take nutrients through my food? Yeah. Why do you put them back in? Mm-hmm. So preserving and regenerating yeah. the ecology around me. Yeah. It's great. I think that there's a difference between. Now, this is a slight nuance, and I don't want to make anybody mad um, because I'm both. I am an environmentalist and I am a conservationist, but I believe that there's a big difference in concept when you think about just the concepts. So an environmentalist um, has a lot of theory and ideas behind the environment. So they're an advocate. Sometimes that moves to, uh, well, moves to more of an environmental action or an environmental like uh, friction, activism. a conservationist would be one that in of its essence, I would say the way that I've looked at it in my, in my past is a conservationist conserves and preserves and, mm-hmm. and actually is, is maybe doing some of the more soil work. So I would say that in my theory um, and in what you said, instead of just living in the clouds of some concept uh, that more boots on the ground were actually conserving and preserving through, and there would be a regeneration portion of that. So good. Awesome. Thanks for, thanks for sharing that. The, um, when, when we think about, our destiny is to go back where we started and we're not going anywhere is your first is your first line, but it's more of a going back to where it all began. And I think all of this has to do with, with gardening mm-hmm. and that our, our only vocation on earth is to be is to be gardeners and yeah. in in genesis in um be fruitful and multiply and have and what some translations call dominion and dominion to us has more of an imperialistic overture where I mean, we just saw the queen die, right? And so we can just think of what imperialistic overtures mean is to command, conquer, and take for ourselves. I didn't know. watch her die, but I certainly saw all the pomp and circumstance yes. around the post for him. I mean, the crowns and the jewels yeah. of other nations. And I'm just talking about like things that she was never involved with, but it's just a consequence of, I get that. Um and so you have you have the idea that um, that's not dominion. Dominion is a is a skillful mastery of. And so, conservationist, yes, ecologist, yes, but 
having a having a skillful understanding of how things grow, and that includes relationships, that includes mm-hmm. um, people, that includes yourself, um, even even the ecology around you. But I think your ecosystem of people as well. Mm. Mm-hmm. Good. Okay. Good. Accepting the scrutiny. I don't think it's that that big a scrutiny. No, not at all. <laughs> That's why I could accept it, right? <laughs> all right. <laughs> all right. My purpose. Uh, my purpose is why am I here? Why am I here is we need to answer that question. So if we're just living this life um, and from creation to death, uh, what am I supposed to do in the meantime? So my purpose, this is what I'm, I'm actually taking this from two different people. The first person is from Leonard Sweet, and Leonard Sweet was my doctoral mentor, doctoral professor in my program uh, through George Fox. And so Leonard Sweet is a great mentor, great professor, um, and great semiotician and thinker. And then the second part is uh, from a friend of mine in North Idaho by the name of Kyle Bostock. He preached a message a handful of weeks ago, and he gave the gospel kind of outline. I really was, um, I thought it was beautiful. And I, of course, I'm going to attribute to that to them. And I'm also going to steal it and use it for this purpose. So my purpose, and then the first one kind of bleeds into the second one. And then Kyle said the, the last part of the other one. Okay. My purpose and mission is to illuminate, activate, and animate the Christ in everyone I meet. The gospel is not about me saving the lost. So that's a Leonard Sweetism. I'm going to read that again. My purpose and mission is to illuminate, activate, and animate the Christ in everyone I meet. The gospel is not about me saving the lost. It's not a, the gospel is not a moral ethic, nor a hidden spirituality. The gospel is an announcement that Jesus is king. So in our belief about evangelism and our belief about, well, especially evangelical missionary work that we've done all over the world and how that's looked in the past is more imperial. It's definitely a more authoritarian type activity where we go in and we think that we have the answer for people and they need like a well, or they need uh, a storage area, or they need a certain tool, or they need an engine of some sort, or like I've seen satellite dishes, or they need, you know, these technological instruments that definitely are fun and useful for a period of time, uh, but the water might be in the wrong place. It might be more of a, uh, uh, more of a sojourner styled group of people that don't stay in one place. They move with the water, but we drill a water well, and then they gather around that spot and never move again. Um, and we change their culture just by drilling a well, or we might think that that's what they need yet. That's what they're not asking for. Um, there was a gentleman that passed away a couple of days ago, and he was a Bible smuggler and he used to go across the Iron Curtain and smuggle Bibles into, uh, well, mostly uh, I read through like the Iron Curtain and Soviet places and 
predominantly communist countries where where Bible smuggling was illegal. And one of the questions in my home group that I have is, that ha- that was brought up is did they did they want those Bibles? And that was a good question because if somebody's living under some kind of oppressive system where Christianity is not necessarily expressed as legal or whatever terminology you want to use, um, it's not accepted. Does somebody want a stack of Bibles in their house where their friends come over and now they have the stack of Bibles, they have to explain where they got them from. So when we just impose our Christianity on others, it's like we need to save the lost. Yet the purpose that we have is not to, you know, Jesus came to seek and to save that which was lost. Um, but our purpose is to illuminate Christ in everybody. And that gospel, that good news is the announcement that Jesus is our King. Jesus is our savior. So I think that just taking a nuanced shift, I think that nuanced shift away from the language of saving the lost and moving towards illuminating Christ in, uh, in everyone I meet, uh, that takes relationship that takes connection, that takes conversation. That doesn't take just building something for someone and then finding out later, oops, we shouldn't have done that. That's not what they needed. We sent a group to Haiti and I think that that's, they were explaining the similar, uh, the similar thing where something was built for them, but it was so far away that they couldn't use it. And so it just sat there idle and wasn't used. So uh, any thoughts on purpose as I as I just kind of just took two different ideas from two different people and mashed them together. Uh, my only thought that I have, if I can go first in this one, is I have a hard time saying Jesus is king. Okay. And, Why? <laughs> um, nowhere in scripture does it, called Jesus King beside I just was like looking through it as, as I'm going through. trying to find it. Yeah. And like that, that, that feels a little weird. Why does it feel weird? Um, except for the Magi Pontius Pilate and the, the religious leaders that, that crucified Jesus. Hmm. And so King of the Jews. Yeah. King of the Jews, King of the King of uh, Israel when they wanted him very dead, mm-hmm. um, right. changing it from a religious perspective to a, a social perspective. Mm-hmm. Um, and so Kanye West, ye. <laughs> he did a <the> whole album. <laughs> yes. Jesus is King. Yeah. yeah. I, I, I would never say Jesus is King. What would you uh, say? I don't know. I think that's good... just the nomen, like the, it's probably just the common language. So does that common language speak? So it's a common language because the, why is that? Yeah. Um, and I quickly looked this up. I'm sorry. No, you're fine. Um, King James translated a lot of the time Lord or Messiah as King. Mm. Okay. And so, and also you have this idea of Messiah being translated down that it, it would be this kingly type figure which i mean right. you could you could run with that um but even even saying that messiahs were to be kings and mm-hmm. like we have to be careful that 
it is plural messiah messiahs that um yeah so saying saying king uh is lord a better word because i know paul uses that one we don't have a good we don't have a good perspective of what that is yeah that's true yeah, just some, just doing a quick look on uh, on. I think that it's. I think that it probably is used in common language to try to give honor to Christ in a very authority status. So it would be like Jesus is our authority. Jesus is our king. Um, there's an authority status there with the language. So if I just do a quick read, yeah. um, Jesus never took the posture of a king. Mm-mm. Yeah. And that's really important to, so yeah. he was elevated to the right hand of the father. Um, Even that is not a kingly position. Right. 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 Interesting. Okay. I, I'm all for that. That's good stuff. So Jesus is something. not my king. <laughs> but what is he? Is he our savior? Is I mean, what's the language that we would attach to Jesus at this point? Because Jesus is our savior. We use that. Jesus is the Messiah. We use that. I think Jesus is Lord. We use that. Perhaps even like redemptor. I don't know if, I don't even mm. know if um, Lord is, is a good, we don't, we don't have that type of like, especially in our in our Western context, we don't have that type of person where Lord is almost a feudal. It's a feudal mm-hmm. word, right? King was around, but Lord is is definitely a medieval feudal, right? Yeah, and so you have um. So if we could, as we're constructing a new worldview, right? Yeah. Um, if we can figure out a word that doesn't have the baggage of of gross abuse and go into something more of of redemptive. Yeah, because before 1611, was it 1611 King James? Yeah, somewhere in there. Somewhere in there. Before that time, uh I would say that did they use Jesus as king? Because that spoke something. I mean, it could be in a positive well, way that Jesus is above these oppressive kings and queens. And that so probably Jesus is above that. And that is their metaphor, right? Mm-hmm. But it also could be a negative light. They're being oppressed mm-hmm. by this king. So, I mean, it's the same context like calling God father, right? And we have all right. this negative baggage right. of father. Sure. I think we can noodle around with that because language is important. I mean, I'm a semiotician, so I think that like looking at signs and symbols and language and and all of that is is really important. So that's that's awesome. I think the nuance of our statements and our propositions we throw out there and our positions we throw out there and our worldviews that we throw out there, I think um, definitely speaks a lot of times, a lot of judgment and oppression. So we need to be careful. What if we take the is out? 
we could say something like the gospel is an announcement that Jesus redeems. Yeah. Mm -hmm. An action. Absolutely. Well, let's take some notes on that. So values, we're just going through this worldview, answering these questions, going under some scrutiny, trying to figure out a better way of communicating our faith. And then we're going to go to a test, a theory of action. So the theory of action is going to be, well, if I believe these things, then what? Like, what do I do with these things? So the values, my values, I will live my life with the value of love, compassion, and believing best intent in everyone. That was a hard one for me to write down, but that's what I desire. And that's what I want my Christian faith to do. There's goodness in everyone. So I will live my life with the value of love, compassion, and believing best intent in everyone. As scripture says, love is the greatest command. So I see that in Jesus being questioned, what is the greatest command? I see it in Paul's list of love never fails, and the love is the greatest of all these things. And so it's the greatest gift. And then Colossians 3, it's over all other virtues. So love is the greatest command, the greatest gift, and over all other virtues. I like that. And I mean, like, I think if other people don't feel loved, then it's time to re-examine your approach. You know, because sometimes we think we're being loving. (laughs) But if the other person doesn't perceive that as loving, we just might be wrong. Right. Exactly. Well, I think that it's time to err on the side (laughs) of love. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Okay, Jake, any feedback on that? I, I think, well, there's two thoughts. Uh, one would be to not place your values on somebody else. Mm-hmm. That your values are your own. Probably, and I, and I, I think for our discussion and purpose, we have we have synchronized value and virtue together. Probably, yeah. Mm-hmm. So um, that's a nuance that we could we could talk about. Um, and that goes to like what I just talked about with not imposing values onto others. That's not not believing or thinking that n- non Christians should act the same way or or do act the same way as Christians. Mm -hmm. Right. Uh, Secondly, uh, this is, this is a slippery slope. Can I also add that that might be a slippery slope that you just said? Yes. Because, and I'm going to just push back a little bit. You can. Christians do act many times worse than people who don't believe. That's not and what I mean. So, yeah. So, so in that whole idea of, well, we can't impose our Christian values onto people who don't believe. I would say that there's many people. I think that there's there's values as human existence mm-hmm. that are 
human existence values. So to say that my values are Christian, I, I, I have a hard time with that. Yeah, of course I do too. And that's why, I mean, I guess human beings are built to love and have compassion and to, um, believe best intent, Mm -hmm. serve, Yes, you know, we're to to give generously. I think that's just built in our our human nature. Her human nature, and some people yeah. might disagree with me on that, but I truly believe that deep down inside our human nature, when somebody is in need, what's um, that? Human uh, nature is to respond with. What's the show where the guy's on his motorcycle and he travels the world just to show that people are good? Yeah, uh huh. Um, I can't remember. But yeah, I know I what mean, you're talking about. I, I get I get what you're saying, but uh, not but. And the idea that we, we, um, especially in our context, have created laws and boundaries of what we believe are Christian, mm. expect non-Christians to adhere to those same values and boundaries. So like- and So like what? So our big debate right now, or was, it's kind of, kind of, quiet on in all fronts at the moment on npr um tell you bring it up right now <laughs> abor- abortion yeah and the, and the struggle over abort uh, uh reproductive rights has we are as a nation um as i as a not as a whole i don't think we get a chance to vote on that yet but in many states imposing our christian worldview onto those who are non-Christian and air quotes on all the words I just said, right? And so the, the imposition of, of what we think is a value and virtue, mm-hmm. people should act within our virtue and value. And if they don't, they are wrong and we are right still. So are you saying possibly that there's such a difference between values and virtues that we've created a disparity between the two that our values do not match Christian virtues. Because if my value, if my virtue is love, compassion, care, generosity, yet I value something that is in friction or contradictory to those virtues. Is that what you're saying? Cause that's what I hear. I don't, I don't know if it's something contradictory of it, but it's, it's an, it, we are imposing that on people that may not have the same, may not have the same uh, moral ethical position that we do. We, I'm, 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 I'm using in, in general terms. You're not saying um, us on this broadcast. You're saying the global we is the, the global, the global we is a church and right. like, like the overturning of, I mean, it's just an easy subject. I'm sorry. The overturning of Roe v. Wade has, was a, a quote unquote win to a lot of evangelicals because it upheld their value that every life is sacred. And I'll take it, I'll, I'll be very kind and say it that way. Um, 
Yeah, the sanctity of life, they call the it. The sanctity yeah. of life. Right. And, and they believe that life happens at conception. Um, but as we talked about through this podcast, it's more pro-fetus than pro-life or else there'd be uh, maternal care all the way uh, to right. graduation and beyond. And so that imposition of values and virtues. And this morning we talked about uh, the seven deadly sins, right? Mm -hmm. In another group that we attended. Yeah. Correct. Yeah. So you talk, you talk about those seven, like we know those seven deadly sins, right? Like we can pretty much name them. If you've saw the seven movies, seven Morgan, Brad Brad Pitt, Morgan Freeman and Brad Pitt. Right. We all know. Lust, uh, gluttony. Yeah. Hate. Those are based off of the Christian principles of the seven virtues. Right. They're the opposite. They're the opposites, but we never focus on the seven virtues and none of us can actually name them. Name them. Yeah. We only focus on the seven sins because that's what we can point the finger at somebody else with. And so. When our purpose, where are we on right now? I'm sorry. Purpose? Values. Values. Thank values. you. When, yeah. our, when our values are used to point fingers at anyone else but ourself, that's when we get into trouble, I believe, with, with values. And so what I'm, what I'm just advocating for in, our, in, in this statement is that those values are, are interpersonal and for self to be reflected upon others, but not to be, not to judge others with. So I would advocate to say in a Christian worldview. So I just used, I just used the questions of any worldview, mm -hmm. right? So these are questions of any concept, Anyone. like, like you could say, my destiny is when I'm dead, I'm dead. And that actually plays out in your life in a worldview. Mm -hmm. um, or where did I come from? I came from nothing. You know, or it came from, you know, just nothing created me besides just science created me, um, or the or the outcome of the theory of a scientific act or whatever. However, you want to state that. Yes, uh, you can say that, and I I definitely adhere to very strict scientific principles. So that's why I said what I said in creation. Um, what I'm hearing though, is I think it's time for us to change what we focus on and not change to change from what we value to our virtues because our virtues should be expressed in our values. And if we have nothing to base our values on our values as they change, we have to ask, why is my values changing? So for example, in the last two years, I've watched Christians go from peaceful, peacekeeping, forgiving, caring, spiritful Christians to hateful, hateful statements and mean people. So how is it possible that they went from valuing a spirit-filled life to valuing something in just complete contradiction social media algorithms right i mean maybe it is you know just like based off of you know what they read a constant you know stream of whatever that's in, infiltrating their heads you are what Yet, you eat you, you are what you think and 
yeah, see and eat. Um, so I think that it's time for us to maybe focus on Jesus in virtue mm-hmm. versus holding on to value because because I can value something that is completely and think it's Christian. This is where nationalism is is a problem. So I can value something that is a nationalistic idea thinking that it's Christian. Yeah. But yet Christian virtue tells me something completely different. So my example is, you know, like the second amendment. Some people think that the second amendment, they're trying to like prove the second amendment with the Bible. And it's like, well, I mean, yeah, the Bible was written long before the Second Amendment. So, so I, I look at what does it say in virtue and does it match my, well, we live in Oregon. So should I be throwing up like a brandish? Like, should I be brandishing? Because you can own whatever really that's legal that you want to own. Um, how is it used and what are we brandishing ourselves with? So these pictures of Christians with like, you know, automatic rifles and pistols and stuff that they're like doing Christmas cards with their pistols, you know, things like that. That's actually something that they value that's being, uh, is, is being expressed, but it doesn't speak the virtues of Christ. Mm-hmm. Yes. So that would be my example of, you know, and and those of you who, you know, own guns and are second amendment people, you know, God bless you. I think that uh, brandishing ourselves with a weapon speaks something that's different than, so I think changing values and focusing more on virtues is something that I've learned tonight. So with, um, with that, and I think just to, just to give one more example that I've been mulling over my head. Yeah. And we believe it is a Christian, that marriage is a, is a Christian, we, sorry, we, the church, the right. church universal believes that Christian Christianity is a, sorry, marriage is a Christian sacrament and right idea. Right. Mm-hmm. R I T E. Right. And when, when that was pressed a few years ago, it was the Christians fighting so hard that it's, that it's God's design of one man and one woman. Right. And not even, not even to debate that subject, but to think that the idea of marriage is, is far beyond Christian. Yes. Marriage is far beyond even Abrahamic religions of Islam, Judaism, but it's in Buddhism long before Christianity was even a thing, right? I've, I've married Buddhist people before. But like even the idea of, of Buddhist marriages mm-hmm. are very old, Shintoism, very right. old marriages. And so to say that, to say that it's a Christian rite and basically Christians have the, the corner market on marriage is a very like nationalistic stance. Well, I think it's very irresponsible. It's an irresponsible stance because uh, you're right. Christian marriage is thought of as the pinnacle of human existence. Mm -hmm. And that's, 
the, the initial challenge. We as Christians, many times we think, you know, singleness or without children or whatever is kind of a, a curse. Um, yeah. And for, he, even though Paul, you know, and well, that comes from Jesus. Protestantism and right. fighting against the Catholic uh-huh. Church, right? And so, so declaring something incomplete, mm-hmm. and this is a complete version of self. Number one is the is what is valued, and then you start elevating that value to this is the only one that counts. Christian marriage is the only one that counts and should be elevated. Um, yeah. I'm sure that 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 messaging and that messaging today, current messaging, is pretty offensive to a lot of people that don't subscribe to Christianity, but also live a faith outside of uh, that they have their own faith, but it's outside of the Christian or Abrahamic vein, monotheistic yeah. vein. So, just to to read the oldest uh, form of back in the 400s. Uh, BC or CE, the the idea of the seven virtues, yeah. and just like even to think about this, chastity, mm-hmm. faith, good works, concord, which is kind of a seeking peace, sobriety, patience, and humility, and those were later changed uh, by Pope Gregory the first in almost 600 to what is known now as chastity vis-a-vis lust temperance opposed to gluttony charity versus greed which in the old one was actually good works diligence over slothfulness kindness over envy patience over wrath and humility over pride Okay, let's sorry. Let's move on. No, no, no. It's good. Let's move on to the the last question. The last question is what is truth? Now we're gonna go over this next week. We're gonna spend lots of time. Probably um, multiple weeks. Yeah, multiple weeks, probably. And I'm gonna say something here, but I don't necessarily want you to get hooked up on one statement that I'm gonna say about the Bible. We're gonna cover that next week. We're gonna go over lots and lots of of information about the idea of truth and what what truth is. But this is my worldview answer to what is the truth. Uh, truths that guide my principles are empirical, meaning they're subjective based on my experience. So truths that guide my principles are empirical. Any objective truth is truly unseen. We can't see it. Yet when given even a glimpse, it can be only understood through what Paul explained, the things that God has made. So I will know God by God's creation. So, and right before that, Paul says his righteousness and holiness, basically God in his objectivity, his absoluteness, God's absoluteness will only be understood by the created things that God has made. So any objective truth is truly unseen, only can be understood through the created things. Uh, 
My family, though, my community and friends, the reality is we exist, work, and play in normative truth or normative realities. And what I mean by that is that we collectively as friends, family, and community decide together on what is true. And that's called a communal hermeneutic. There is no way around that. No way around group think of normative realities, communal hermeneutics. Uh, I, would, I want to pretend like there's a way around normative reality, but there is not. So the first is my principles are based on my empirical subjectivity, is what I've been through in my life, what I've experienced in my life, really does determine what I believe about certain things. And the guiding principles are based on my subjective experience. I do believe that there's an objectivity, yet I can't see it. Objective truth really cannot be seen only in though a glimpse of like what Paul said and what God has, has made. Um, my family, my community, and my friends exist, work, and play in normative truth. We decide. Normative truth is what we decide together on what is true and what is not. And they call that a communal hermeneutic. So that plays out in so many different ways. Um, I was just in a different place on a trip, and I heard things that I have never heard before. And I haven't experienced in a very long time from a lot of good Christian people. And what they were saying was not really good Christian thoughts. And I was surprised. Now, they're good Christian people. I would never judge them. I would never criticize them. But I experienced some things where I went, wow, that is really something different. Does not speak Christian virtues, but it is normative thinking. It's a communal hermeneutic. It's how they they're interpreting life in their context. Uh, does not make it good. And I want to send out a word of caution when it comes to truths that we hold on to. Just because somebody said it that you love and care for deeply, respect and trust, does not necessarily make it true. And we need to really keep that in mind and take Sharia's word of advice that even this can change and we can involve in our thinking on even the truth. Um, so a note on scripture. I believe that scripture is incarnational. Uh, scripture, I believe, holds the words of God and the words of humankind. So that makes scripture in its essence fully God and fully humankind. So it's incarnational. If Jesus is fully God and fully human, then the words of God are fully God and written by fully human, making the word of God uh, in, its, in, its, in its essence, it's a mashing of beauty, perfection, and authority in the word of God with fallibility, influence, and culture in the words of humankind. It's both. And so if we think that we can just declare something infallible, or we use this word inspired, like a great theologian, we throw out the word. It's in the inspired word of God trying to force authority behind the Bible. I think the, the Bible is authoritative, meaning that it is a good rule of life and it is fully God and 
fully humankind. Mm-hmm. So that is the idea on truth. I don't want to spend time on that because that's going to be next week. And so we're going to spend an entire hour and a half next week on, on truth. But I just want to throw that out there that that's my answer preemptively uh, for next week. So we need to take this to a theory of action. And a theory of action is uh, basically a hypothesis. It's a theory of how I'm going to carry this out. This is a, a lot of, well, noodling around and thinking my, my origin, my destiny, my purpose, my values, my truth uh, that I hold on to dear that's guiding my life, that is speaking out of my mouth. And I'm hoping that just like we did noodled around tonight, that we could actually um, come up with more compassionate words and inclusive language and trying to walk through this together and make it uh, more honest and and more loving. So, how are we going to take this though? Instead of a th- instead of a uh, philosophy of life, how do we take it into action and action in life? And I think that we can come up with some strategies. Coming up with a theory of action requires critical judgment, like we might have just done some critical thinking through these. Uh, through these statements and these thoughts, and then coming up with a strategic action that leads to desired results. The desired result is they will know that we are Christians by our love. <laughs> Flags. I, I, uh. I, oh, 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 I really hope that it's that it is love. Um, I, I hope that we can connect some dots here. So we're going to use a method. And we're just going to take a couple of these to give an example of how to do this. Um, and so, so this is, we're going to come up with a thing that we do. If we do this thing, then we will see this happen. And if we see this happen, it will lead to this. And if it leads to this, it will result in that outcome that we wanted to see. So the outcome that we want to see is love. They will know that we are Christians by our love, right? So if we do this thing, then we will see that happen, which will lead to this and which will result in that outcome that we want to see. So this is an if, then, what, then, an outcome type of exercise. So which one do you to want to pick. Shreya, Jake, which one do you want to pick first to do the if-then exercise? You mean like out of origin, destiny, yes. all of that? Yeah. Let's, um, let me just start at the beginning. Let's just do origin. Okay. What do we do with that? If this is our worldview, what do I do with that? And what are we to do with this idea? Well, you started with, I am created in God's beauty and image. Mm-hmm. So what, it mean, what does it mean to act like that? And are we also assuming that other people are created in God's beauty and image? 
And I would say that in order for us to, to really display our, um, sorry, help people understand their origin, we have to understand our own. Mm. So we have to accept ourselves as beautiful ourselves as, as in the image of God, accept ourselves for what we are so that we're able to give other people all of creation. I would say, even if, if we go into our, into our theory of regenerative earth keeping that all of creation then is beautiful and worthy of, of the image of God. Mm. And so, um, the, you, the even imp- Brussels sprouts, even, I love Brussels sprouts. Oh yeah. The, the idea of, I just totally lost the Brussels sprouts. You're funny. Uh, <laughs> I'm sorry. <laughs> how about, how about this though? Let's go back to the traditional biblical worldview yeah. and what they would say about maybe creation. So in a traditional biblical worldview, I do not believe in a traditional idea of creation. I believe in the Hebrew poem, poems, as Jake uh, so eloquently said. So I believe in the poetic version of creation. I don't believe in a literal seven days of creation. Actually, I never have. Um, I never have before I was a pastor or even a person of you know any kind of strong faith. I definitely was a person that expanded that idea of creation into eons of time. So, so I've never been able to shake, nor have I ever wanted to, needed to shake those thoughts out of me. So I don't believe in a traditional idea of creation. The reason why some people need a traditional view, literal seven days of creation is this God's created order of things. They need that. And they need that to keep intact their version of females being submissive to males and making sure that relationships, committed marriage relationships are only between one man and one woman. Ultimately, that goes all the way back to God's created order of things. And that, that there, that there had that to be an have Adam. The right, and mm-hmm. the people have the right to, uh, even over creation as well, that man, right. stands, mm-hmm. man stands above all of Right. Creative things to right. take power and possession and control. Right. To dominate, basically. And then as pastors, we tried to kind of massage that, you know, word of, well, it means more caretake or it means to be a steward, you know, of over, over creation. But really what we were saying is just do whatever you want and don't recycle your cans. So, so, so honestly, that's why that absolutely for some people, I'm not saying for all, I'm saying for some people that have a very strong view and are trying to back things up with 
with scripture that it has to remain intact in order for these other things. The moment that you break that story, that narrative down, and you say, no, it's a metaphor, it's a poem, it's a picture, it's an idea, it's a greater reality, it's spoken in a greater context. The moment you do that is that that God's created order of things begins to break. Mm-hmm. So that is all in response to um, having to put power and position in scripture. And right. that if you take the first five words of the Bible, of, of the Bible that we have in our hands, and, and it's how it's translated, mind you, that the we have to have that be literally true or nothing in the entire bible can be literally true mm-hmm. and it has that even though that's an origin story and there are thousands of them we have to believe this one or else right mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and what's hard is if you if you do get into hebrew as well that the uh, language the language Hebrew and how it's written. It's not in the beginning, God created heaven and earth, right? Mm-hmm. That's not what it says. What does it say? In a beginning. Oh, yeah. The gods created heaven yeah. and earth. Yeah. That's one to wrestle with, isn't it? You took the same class that I did with Dr. Delamarter. Yeah. So you have, <laughs> you have a translation that is dictating how we believe. Right. So, so the reason why I bring that up is, is to show that certain ideas of origin regulate Mm -hmm. lots of different theologies Mm -hmm. that are out there. Probably our biggest, right? Huh? Probably are all of our yeah, theologies. Yeah, a lot of it on is theology and origin. And and I will include all of us have been accused of not being Christian because of not holding to this traditional biblical seven days of creation. Of course, in different contexts, because Shreya taught um, theology in a different setting, and so of course she endured her own criticism and <laughs> and Jake endured his criticism and I've endured mine. So it's not necessarily at our current church. Um, but we definitely have undergone a lot of criticism and not holding that. Why? Because these other things have to fall in place. Now, mm-hmm. I think that, and, and I even like the woman being taken from the side of Adam, I mean, even all of that has just been Oh, churned over like vomit in a churn, right? To try to prove that that women are some subhuman, uh, subhuman yeah. to to a male. I mean, it's just it's just it, there, all kinds of things have been used to try. We to have a, a friend at Resonate that, and when he told this story, it reminded me of when I was told this story or told the same thing. In Sunday school, as children, we were taught that women have more ribs than men. Oh, I know. (laughs) And so 
like even even that right them. right it's a very low thinking and i don't mean to call anybody that believes in seven days literal creation stupid it is a low thinking if you can hold to that and you are still going you know we're still with jesus um, doesn't matter right but how that plays out so if you if you are trying to prove an oppressive theology if you're trying to prove some toxic spiritual abusive situation over here with this over there um that's where you know we run into really big problems just know though that your your ideas of where you came from and how that creation story plays out in your life definitely plays out in your life um okay so if we hold to this and we maybe say this because of the creation story i'm going to speak equality between men and women between the genders i'm going to speak equality of human beings because of the creation story i'm going to speak mm-hmm. equality to human beings of human beings therefore and let me use my formula of the theory of action then what outcome will we see what will that lead to first let's talk about that if i if i speak because of the creation story equality between the genders are you just what, choosing you're just choosing genders people i i mean this is your because you could say you could say gender you could say created beings created things you could say lots there so what what did you want to address Sometimes human, like, human genders human genders yes people so it's not the only thing that this um speaks worldview has an outcome for it's just the outcome that we are currently looking at right now right okay right so if i speak because of the creation story that i hold to if i speak equality of genders mm-hmm. all inclusive genders however many genders you believe exist just people right if i if i i focus on genders because of what the church has done to women right um so i want to honor that in the statement or in the in the uh, exercise but if i speak equality then what will we see happen we would see women being listened to okay which leads to what a lot more ideas and probably some pretty good ones <laughs> yes <laughs> absolutely which will result in what outcome I think probably the needs of more people being addressed because more people are being listened to. Yeah, I would say that more people would come to know Jesus. 
too, as well. Mm -hmm. Because of my creation, my belief in the creation narrative as I wrote it, I'm going to speak equality of people of all genders. Therefore, as Sharia said, women will feel listened to. And the outcome will be more needs will be met and more people will come to know Christ. I mean, isn't that what we want? Mm-hmm. Yeah. I only have one thought in that statement. Okay. I think it's all great. And I think what even what you're saying could be honed in a little more of, I would change the idea of I'm going to speak equality. Okay. To more, I'm going to practice equality. Okay. Uh. Good. You're not, because of my, because of my, so this is the theology, the theory of, of praxeology, the theory of action. I am going to, because of my ideas of creation, my worldview answer of creation, I'm going to practice equality amongst the genders. Mm -hmm. Therefore, women specifically will be, or feel, I'm going to use your word, Shreya, Women will feel listened to. If I can add, women have a better chance of being listened to at that point. Yeah. Well, and I would also add other genders too. Right. But specifically about what the church has done to women to honor right. that, that oppression. So therefore, women will feel listened to and we will have the outcome that more needs will be met and more people would come to know Christ. It's good. So how do I, what's the strategy of practicing equality based on Jake, you use the language. What is the, what's the strategy here? How am I going to do that? I know as a pastor, I can speak it from the stage. Mm-hmm. And that, that again goes back to almost the fickle, I'm just going to say it. Right? How do we practice it? And not just in the church, in this you know, community of people, because again, that's normative truth. Right? So I have this community mm-hmm. of people that meet on a regular basis in this building and we're going to speak equality and we all believe equality and we might even practice equality, but how do I practice equality on my everyday walk? I think that if you are looking to practice equality of male and female, and we're talking about, um, and not to talk about gender fluidity or any type of, of trans idea, um, but cisgendered people, uh, the idea that 
as a male, as an, as an identified male, you count the number of words you use and weigh them. So am I talking too much? Am I talking too much? Am I talking at the wrong times? Do I have a reason to talk right now? Or am I just taking space up so that something or somebody else can't be heard? It's a major criticism of this podcast so far. What's that? You talk too much? I and you talk too much. Yeah, Shreya. Gotta step up. <laughs> uh, <laughs> We're not counting our words, Jake. Um, yeah, totally. I talk way too much. <laughs> when I'm given the, when I'm, when I'm feel comfortable enough to do, do so. But the idea is, and the idea is not to even silence yourself, but to make sure that as you swing the pendulum and the pendulum does need to swing, that what you say becomes more, you're mindfully speaking, I should say. It becomes more impactful. It becomes more responsive, less reactive. It becomes, it becomes purposeful. And so how do we help Shreya speak more in this podcast? The answer is lots of time to write my notes in advance. Yes, that's your personality and your methodology style in real time that that can be sequestered too like mm-hmm. you know just because you write out notes doesn't mean that you're giving Using the them. space to say them right or say it uh well making sure that all voices are heard around the yeah. screen mm-hmm. um that we make sure that you know one person is not silenced or when there is long periods of time where somebody's not speaking whether that be at a staff meeting or whether that be in the church or you know just in the church if i go too long too many weeks in a row without you know a a female speaker a female preacher up on stage i think that that's wrong too um yeah it's kind of the same there's an institution that put out how the Billy Graham rule of not meeting with a female by himself has led to over-sexualization of females mm-hmm. in the church. And not saying I agree or disagree with the Billy Graham rule. I think, honestly, having, having had people around me accused of things that they've never done, I don't think for anyone in any type of situation even in the workplace, is it right to meet with anyone in a closed setting? Let's just say it that way. That I think in our, in our even, gosh, all the newscasters that went down the last few years, right? Mm-hmm. Like those were private meetings. And so just don't meet people in closed doors. Okay. Well, um, but I, I think that that's a... I actually don't agree with that. Billy Graham's rule caused the over-sexualization. No, that's, of that's what I'm saying. Yeah. I'm just saying, like, don't do that. Yeah. What caused the over-sex... Because women have been 
over-sexualized in the church yeah. long before Billy Graham ever, you know, was, was, you know, conceived. So, so we need to look at why. And the reason why is because of God's created order of things. And when you believe that a woman is less than a man, the man will dominate and cause or dominate and treat, objectify that subclass of person, begin to objectify them and over time sexualize them over time. And that's been going on since the very beginning of that inequality type thinking. So, so I think that what's causing over-sexualization in a church is complementarianism. Today, Complement- yes. Today, yeah. in current, current situations, as complementarianism has created a male and females are, are you know, she's the weaker, yeah. so therefore she's objectified and then she's mm-hmm. sexualized. And I think the, the, the very strong push on chastity and purity culture has also over-sexualized. Mm-hmm. Uh, gosh, what is that from? That a purity culture. Yeah. No, the uh, the idea that when things are taken away or held from you, the desire grows oh. more. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh yeah, the the uh, the theory of resistance. Kind of. Yeah. The. the uh, um, I can't. I can't think of it right now. I'm sorry. Yeah. But the idea that. That as more things are held back from you, you desire that so much, you're going to act out even more. And so mm-hmm. that's the whole Adam and Eve idea that right. that because it was said, no, Adam and Eve had to go and, and take the apple. Okay, whatever, whatever right. fruit it was, pomegranate. Right. Um, so but what I was getting at with the Billy Graham thing is that decisions are made in situations of low stress and when i had a professor once that said that most decisions are made to and from the car ride in a meeting and so if you don't believe that women should ride in the car with men no matter Mm -hmm. how many men there are in the car Mm -hmm. that that those decisions were made outside of that female, no matter what. And so how do you, how do you even create a space where you're cognizant of that? Well, I think it starts with our view of equality. When I believe that the opposite gender or an alternate gender to mine is respected and equal and I actually believe that and practice mm-hmm. that, yeah. then my outcome is that there is a sense of care and purity within that relationship that I actually am like expressing love my neighbor. If I actually believe that that person is equal to me and this happens in leadership dynamics all the time. I mean, even between like same genders is when I don't believe that somebody just because I carry the, the title senior pastor, if I don't believe that the person next to me is of equal status, then I begin to objectify them and therefore, you know, treat them poorly or, or even mm-hmm. abuse them in some way. So totally. 
Okay. I think that, that was great. Oh, sure. Ahead, sure. Yeah. yeah. Well, in my experience, I think it comes up in small ways. Most often, um, is my work being double checked? Oh yeah. Because, or because I'm a woman, am I getting pushback because, or because I'm a woman? Um, and the way I experience that is you just never know the answer to that question most of the time. And that makes it difficult to navigate social situations. Yeah. Oh, absolutely. I think isn't, isn't there's a statistic that actually shows that, right, Sharia? That yeah, women I'm sure. are, are scrutinized and <laughs> criticized and I can give lots of anecdotal evidence, but right, I'm sure right. there's data. Her stats oh, yeah, are way data. high. <laughs> yeah. 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 Well, it's 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 kind of like uh well no, it is like uh the man walking up to the woman and telling her to smile. Why yeah. don't you smile? When that jerk doesn't smile, so why is he telling her to smile? Yeah. Um, and when we all had to wear masks. Mm-hmm. Um, that was kind of a kind of a breather that yeah. a lot of women uh, yep. experienced because they no longer had to smile. Like that's a like that's a signature marker of being what a female or a happy female or a pretty female. I mean, what what, what was being that's said there? Is. Yep, is it pretty female? I, yeah. I just you'd be yeah. prettier if you smiled. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, there's a lot of guys that would be prettier if they get facelifts and <laughs> freaking smile. And <laughs> yeah. Anyway, anyway, that was, that was a, uh, that was a really uh, profound and revealing thing to me of how many times even I have said, you know, that to somebody. They don't even smile. You know, what? They don't even smile. Right. Or I've even said that about somebody. Yeah. Um, that was kind of an eye opener for me. Well, that's the practice of the theory of action. So we're going to actually, we're going to have to end this because we've been going for an hour and 42 minutes. And so we're going to have to end this tonight and pick it up next week. And what I want is I want to, I want to do this for the rest of the worldviews. And next week, if the two of you can maybe come up with some alternate ideas of worldviews, and then we can send them through this theory of action. If this, then this outcome like, becomes like our, this. our theory of world worldviews are actually like a, like a super alternate your theory just no 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 yours okay <laughs> your oh, person okay. yeah yeah your personal like can yeah. we can we run substitutionary atonement through that <laughs> <laughs> yeah we could <laughs> um but i think it would be uh this was just my first look at this handful of questions and now i'm going to go back and kind of read you uh if we could send the other three through the uh through the, if the gauntlet, the gauntlet, if this, then this, and the outcome, this, and kind of come up with some practices to see how that works. Um, we can show our audience, Hey, I think it's time to 
reform our thinking and our practice um, and our worldview and what we actually think a worldview is, approaching honesty and love and compassion with the things that we hold so dear and the things that we believe. I think, what if, let's try it. (laughs) (laughs) Where did that come from? Sesame Street. Oh, that is, I love Sesame Street. Good, good old Big Bird coming back, coming back to us. That's awesome. All right. On that note, thanks the both of you for um, sharing your thoughts tonight and look forward to next week and hearing more about this same subject. And then the following week, we'll uh, pick up on truth. And so with that, we are the constructionists. We desire to um, develop and give a framework of a honest, loving, and more Jesus-like relevant worldview. That is what we're focused on over the next handful of weeks. And if you want to get caught up, listen to those. If you want to support us, continue watching, give to us through our give site on resonatelife.org. You can connect with, send us messages. We'll respond during the week. All right. With that, good night, everybody. Thanks for joining us. Good night.